This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio with your host, Ray. Tonight we are discussing neurodivergent educators and their experiences of inclusion or lack of inclusion in different schools we've worked in. Um, We'll be talking with our guest Amy, who's had a range of experiences, and will hopefully share some insights and some coping strategies with us. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So welcome to this very late Monday evening. We are discussing the experiences of neurodivergent educators in in different schools. And we'll welcome um, texts and, and calls from any listeners who have something to share here. So my guest this evening, Amy, is um, a neurodivergent educator. I'll speak more about her in a minute. Um, and she uh, she's going to share her experiences with us. And full disclosure on, on me and my life, I am not a neurodivergent educator. I do not have any kind of um, neurodivergent diagnosis, but I'm, I have a number of, of friends and family and loved ones who are um, they have a range of, of experiences and situations and, and I always have found it interesting and by, and I do mean interesting in, in the negative sense here, how difficult it can be for them in what is already an extremely challenging environment. I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm not one of those educators myself, but I am a dedicated introvert and I even even with that, I find it incredibly hard to work in the chaotic, crowded, busy, loud environments of schools, um, some more so than others. And the relentless social expectations that come along with our job. And I've I've often found myself, um, sitting there after a particularly raucous lesson or, or um, break time or event or just, you know, wandering through the corridor on any given day, asking myself, why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this to myself? This is not how my brain works. I'm not built for this. And it can be extremely difficult to manage um, what you want, what you consciously want to be doing and what your brain seems to be wired to do when those things don't line up, it's uh, it's not the not the best feeling in the world. It can, it can make your day to day life very very difficult. So I've come up with a number of coping strategies for my for myself to give myself a break from the demands. But even so, it's it's constant performativity. It's constant. I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word masking when it comes to myself. Um, but that is, it really is all, it's all sides of the same, I don't know how to finish that metaphor, coin? Does that work? It, they're, they're different versions of the same thing, really. We have to put on this this face that we show 
the world, our students, our, our employers, the parents, the community, and that, and, and keep everything else inside and essentially be someone that we're not for a prolonged period of time. And the, the mental toll that takes in the, the mental and emotional exhaustion and physical exhaustion that comes with that can manifest in a number of different ways. So, um, it interests me on a personal level as, as, as well as just seeing other um, colleagues and, and friends and family uh, go through their own neurodivergent experiences in education. So our guest tonight, Amy, is, um, well, she's worked, she's worked in mainstream secondary schools for many years, um, primarily with SEND students. She knows a heck of a lot about SEND and she is autistic and has a very unique, very, ooh, I'm an English teacher. She has a unique perspective on the ways that schools can, and I'm not going to say cannot, can and do, and also do not support their neurodivergent staff. She's got a range of, of positive and negative experiences there. So I'm going to let Amy introduce herself now and, and add anything or, or be a little bit more specific perhaps about her her experiences in education because that was quite vague. Amy, can you can you hear hear everyone okay? Yes I can. Um I'm Lovely. really excited to join really. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but, but yes, um as Ray mentioned, I've worked in mainstream education for many years now, so around a decade. Um when I started in the profession I wasn't actually diagnosed. Um, it was only until last year that I received my diagnosis. Um, right. So having to go on my diagnosis journey whilst working in, as you said, such yeah. a chaotic um, environment has been quite a journey. Um, but I'm hoping what I bring tonight um, inspires perhaps maybe some who may be neurodivergent themselves. Um, and hopefully I can shed some positive light of you know, what people like me can bring to education. Excellent. That's, I, I hope you can, I'm sure you will. So um, when we, when we spoke before, we had a little chat before and I was um, quite impressed. I was quite impressed. Let's start on a positive note because <laughs> I was quite, okay. I was quite um, pleased, I suppose, with the, the, with how happy you were at your current school. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your role within that school and how supported you feel as a neurodivergent educator there? Yeah, sure. So I am currently a HLTA. Um, and what my job entails, for those who might not know, um, who are listening, is I do a lot of in-class support. But alongside of being a high-level TA, I have other responsibilities. So my what I would say probably specialist responsibility is um, teaching our intervention groups um, but when I first started at that school I came with what I could say is probably very shattered confidence um, and I felt a little bit lost um, you know in myself and my abilities it took me a while to settle but I'd say after doing the whole academic year at this school um, I now feel comfortable in what I'm doing. Um, I would say I've got the confidence now to seek support from my employer. And I would say my learning support team as well that I work with, um, they're all wonderful. Um, 
and they fully accept who I am as well. And they've really helped me on my diagnosis journey. And I'm just able to be me, which is brilliant. Um, still got a way to go um, because on, you know, on masking in, in the workplace after, you know, nearly 30 years of masking is quite scary. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, just my journey can be an inspiration, you know, to overnight neurodivergent educationists, but also the young people I work with. Yeah, and and that was something that came through last time we spoke as well. How how passionate you are about the students that you work with, and that you want to be a an inspiration to them. Because I think I, I guess you can relate to some of their experiences, and they can probably see a, a positive role model in you. On an, on obviously, we all think that we all hope that as as teachers and TAs and educators. But I think on a on on that extra level that you can relate to some of their experiences probably benefits them hugely, I would imagine. Yes, it does. Yes. And uh, I'd say I probably have that unique sense of empathy that, you know, other people not, might not be able to give. And I think, you know, I've always been told that I'm naturally quite patient with the children. And that's probably because I can see things through their eyes when they're frustrated or when they're having a meltdown. And, you know, a lot of it comes from, you know, back in education, yes, I was bright, I was getting the grades, but I feel like I went miss because, you know, I am a heavy masker and, mm-hmm. you know, because I was getting the grades, my social and emotional, you know, struggles didn't really matter so much. So that's something I, you know, I'm really passionate about is not just the academic side for my students, but for them finding themselves as a person and, you know, being socially and emotionally comfortable, um, not just within school, but... Yeah you know, ready for when they leave into society. Because that's so important. And that's, it's something I've talked about on, on a few shows now, this, that we do what we do, not necessarily, I mean, I, I suppose, you don't have a subject specialism, do you? That's not how your job works. No, no. Um, no, so, so. so okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so no, that's fine. So I think if, if you're a, a class teacher with a subject speciali- specialism, you obviously have some sort of, uh, dare I say the P word, passion for what you're teaching in the subject itself and the knowledge that you want to impart to these young yeah. people. But it's so much more than that. And for you to be able to relate to and empathize with these these students on that personal level, that that world to do with the world outside of school and beyond school in a way that they potentially haven't been able to to connect to with other with other adults is is so important and I think that's one of the one of the things that um, management teams in schools and and leadership need to recognize and embrace and really push for is is supporting all of their staff so that they can be there as as, as diverse a group as possible including including neurodivergence so that the students are getting that diverse group of role models who they can connect with and they they can relate to and can can support them outside of a classroom and really guide them for the rest of their lives because it's not just about photosynthesis at the end of the day is it <laughs> so no. it's super important <laughs> all right um and to just to, to to take it back a bit now that we've started on a happy note so you mentioned that when okay. we first 
came to this school, your your confidence was shattered. And this this was at a point. How long have you been there now? Um, so I started at that school in September twenty two. <laughs> had to think there, yeah. September twenty two. Okay. Okay, so, great. Yeah, so you well. you didn't have a diagnosis at this point and it was obviously quite recent no. and and trying to trying to come back from a place where you said your confidence was shattered must be quite difficult. But what what led to it? Like can you tell us a little bit about some of your less positive experiences around masking and and maybe not feeling as included as a member of staff and supported as a member of staff in a different environment well I think really a lot of it just stems from well lack of understanding I think in general in mental okay. health um yeah. I would say you know after Covid that was probably you know quite a tricky time for me um I found Covid quite difficult um you know as a you know as someone who's autistic I'm very black and white thinking so there was a lot of mm-hmm. well I'm in work um and I'm around a lots of children but why can't I go and see my family and friends um it just yeah. made no sense to me and when you've got you know the government saying that Covid's a scary thing I'm thinking well I'm in work I'm close to all these children um so yeah I'd, I'd say in I suppose in a light sense I probably had some trauma from Covid um, mm-hmm. And I feel like suddenly having to go back to this normal world and a normal functioning school, I found it really daunting and scary. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I started at, you know, my previous schools, you know, I, I did made, made it known that, you know, I had, you know, anxiety and had, you know, other mental health issues in the past to be aware of. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would try and seek out help for that to try and overcome you know these barriers um because i found you know i found myself getting burnt out to the point i was just very regularly physically ill um so mm-hmm. I, you know i was getting lots of viruses quite a lot because i was really tired um i was getting lots of chest infections and mm-hmm. i try to explain i just need that extra mental health support um but i just felt that was a lack of understanding lack of compromise um yeah that's what I needed really it was just I just yeah that simple you know I just needed someone to reach out to me and just check in with me yeah and you weren't getting that at, at in, a, in a previous situation yeah. no, no I I feel I mean I've I've experienced some different environments as well and I've found that the environments that are rigid you know rigid regimented um these are the rules zero tolerance etc etc you can you can say say what you like and and what you feel there are all sorts of of there's all all the discourse about that um in terms of students and and education and attainment and learning and, and culture school culture and so on and so on but in terms of what we're speaking about right now in terms of supporting staff who are particularly if it's a large school, going to be a very wide-ranging group of people. You're going to have, you're yes, going to have a diversity. I mean, whatever that looks like in that, in that place, um, there will be differences. There will be neurodivergences. There will be um, different personalities and different requirements. You know, we, we don't stop 
needing different things because we turned 16 or 18 or we left school. And I feel like those more rigid environments that they, you know, they say the rigidity is for the children and their benefit, but it affects the staff. And I have yet to experience personally, but I also have yet to hear anecdotally of any educational institution that takes that, that, you know, very strict zero tolerance approach with the students, but is understanding and accommodating for staff. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, please, if anyone is listening, who, who is sitting, well, I work in a, in a school that's great with staff, but we don't tolerate, please, please, please send, send it, send a text. <laughs> Cause I'd love to hear about it. Um, but in my personal experience and, and literally every teacher I've ever spoken to myself, the, the rigidity for students is, is echoed and mirrored in how the staff are treated and how certain expectations are placed on teachers and TAs and everyone who works in the building and that, that no excuses and, you know, zero deviation from the norm allowed applies, applies to the adults and the employees as well. And that is so, to use one of my favorite sayings from my homeland is completely ass backwards. You cannot have adults being treated like children. You cannot have um, neurodiverse staff whose needs and personalities and, and requirements are not, not just not being met, but not, there's no attempt to meet them by the employer who have a duty of care to their staff. You cannot tell the public and advertise that you are inclusive of X, Y, and Z when it comes to the kids and yet utterly fail the inclusion test when it comes to the people in your employment it's just and and it happens all the time and it's so 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 very wrong and I feel I I mean do you want to do you want to share anything can you share anything about why why you left your previous school or was was it just kind of everything at once or did did the fact that you weren't being or you didn't feel supported play into it at all can you comment on that I think, you know, it is a mix of both, everything at once. I okay. Think, you know, I was going, you know, through a, a lot mentally, but I also feel, you know, the lack of support. But like you said, I just feel like some in some places, once you get through the door, that's it. You've got to leave everything in your mind mm-hmm. bothering you at the door. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're human. <laughs> we work in mm-hmm. a very, you know, human to human role. So why can't we you know, express these emotions as human and how can we be our best selves for the kids if they're not going to help us be our best selves? Um, and essentially, yeah. um, that's what I felt like was happening. Um, yeah. And if I was off for genuine reasons, so if I was really not myself and not well at all, um, you know, there would be that pressure of, oh, well, when are you coming back? When are you coming mm-hmm. back? And that really adds to it. So you end up going back sooner than you probably should. And that puts yep. you in the and then And then the cycle, the cycle continues with the illness. Yes. You don't get my, exactly. <laughs> I worked, I worked in a place where I was, I was sick and not getting any better. Like to the point that I regularly lost my voice. I coughed once so hard that I threw up and had to go home. Oh, um, yeah. In, in the middle of a lesson, threw up, threw up in the bin in the corridor. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was not going away, and it it lasted yeah, yeah. 
for over two months, I was ill over two months. I finally got a blood test and ended up sorting it out and, and just in time for like Christmas holidays. So I was able to sleep and, and actually recover, but it was, it's so, it, it just makes it everything impossible. And I don't, I don't, what I don't get in my head. Well, I guess, it, I guess it does make sense because if you're silly enough to think that you can treat children in a certain way, then, then why am I surprised that that would carry over to the way that yeah, you treat your staff? Yeah, I, I suppose I shouldn't be. I guess I need to lower my expectations of my fellow, fellow <laughs> uh, humans. But anyway, um, I just want to just want to pop in some some comments, some um, texts we've been getting. So, okay, Yasmin. Oh, this is this is Yasmin, who's also been a guest on the show, I believe. I think that's that's her. Um, she says, "I feel some education providers feel their duty to staff well-being is met by providing links to external info sources or surveys." but it's not enough for those who are actually struggling. You can't relax and recuperate without feeling stressed about cover work. And she's absolutely right. And and this, uh, this is, this is relevant to everyone, isn't it? You know, the, the, it's the quintessential teacher dilemma. I'm sick. I should stay home and recover, but it, I have to set all of this cover work and then I'm going to yeah, be stressing to <laughs> during the day. And then when I get into my lessons tomorrow, I'm, or whenever I get back, I'm going to have to deal with the absolute carnage that has been left in my yeah, wake exactly and it's like is is this worth it or should I just go in and then we we make ourselves go in and we don't get any better and we're yeah. physically mentally emotionally uh, messy um Emily <laughs> Emily says here it's so hard as you feel you can't have a mental health day um you lie and say you yes. have physical illness because it's easier and I've done that I've definitely yeah, done that more I than once. I think a lot of us have probably done that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd go out on a limb and say probably most. I mean, I've never, I've never, I know. Do you know what? It probably has been all mental. I have. It's because the the physical manifestations of the anxiety and the definitely. and the stress. It it uh-huh. it does become an actual physical problem if you if you're under all yeah. of this pressure and you're worried about so many different things you do start to feel nauseous you do get it I do anyway I do get a headache yeah I I sometimes don't sleep like yes maybe the cough was keeping me up or maybe I I, I threw up you know at, at 8 p.m and couldn't sleep till 12 but it your sleep is disrupted and you're not rested and so these mental health days that we lie about like Emily is right but also I feel like so often if you're in a place where you need a mental health day, those symptoms you're you're getting the physical symptoms manifesting as well it's just they all play off each other you can't look at them at any of them in a vacuum so no, i yeah i definitely agree and there there are some we, more physically yeah yeah absolutely and there's there are some more um texts that have come in that i'm going to um, share in a minute when we're okay. back from this Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laura Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. P.O.C.T. and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? 
Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Maths is in the news again, according to the BBC News website. This time the story is about the pass rate for GCSE resits in the subject. November results show 22.9% of maths entries were marked at grade 4 or above, down from 24.9% in 2022 and 26.9% in 2019. In contrast, the pass rates for GCSE English resits rose to 40.3%, up from 38% in 2022 and 32.3% in 2019. In England, under-18s must retake the GCSE in English and Maths if they did not achieve a minimum of Grade 4. The resits for the recent November series were marked, like the summer 2023 exams, back in line with the pre-pandemic levels. Prior to the exams, some colleges reported they were having to expand class sizes and hire additional exam space to cope with rising numbers of pupils retaking the two subjects. Those sitting the subjects in November are only a subset of the total resitting, as some pupils will not take the tests until the summer. The fall in the maths pass rate comes after government announced plans to replace A-level and T-level qualifications with a new Advanced British Standard, which would include some English and maths up to the age of 18. Whilst the arrival of the new Ofsted chief made many headlines across media outlets, Schools Week focused on tech issues which prevented many inspectors from accessing training. All inspectors working in schools, FE, social care and early years were due to attend mental health awareness training led by Sir Martin Oliver, which was around 3,000 staff. However, it was announced that Ofsted had experienced some technical issues and that fewer than 1,000 inspectors were able to actually access the online sessions. Ofsted did say that a recording was available so those not able to attend would watch it back. Inspections paused for the start of the new term will resume on the 22nd of January. They were not paused in early years settings. Attendance is in the news again and looks set to be a key focus for all political parties as a general election approaches. In a recent speech to the Centre for Social Justice, Shadow Minister for Education Bridget Phillipson said Labour would pass a law to register and count the children taught at home, adding that it was important that local authorities know where children not in school are. 
Plans also included setting up more breakfast clubs. The current government has proposed similar in its schools bill, but this and many other aspects were abandoned at a later date. However, new attendance hubs are being launched in London to help reduce persistent absence. The DfE has chosen nine schools with excellent attendance rates to share ideas with others across England. An advertising campaign called Moments Matter Attendance Counts was also launched. Although some aspects drew criticism from some quarters, concerned that the campaign sought to minimise mental health issues. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said, tackling attendance is my number one priority. In Wales, teachers at a high school are striking over poor behaviour of pupils and NASUWT in Wales say there are now six schools in dispute over classroom safety. Teachers in Scotland have also raised concerns about deteriorating behaviours. The TES magazine featured an article by Bill Rogers, behaviour consultant, university lecturer and author. The article focuses on possible reasons for what teachers report as deteriorating behaviours in schools and strategies to improve things. These include focusing on describing and insisting on the behaviours needed for all to learn. Also using clear assertive language and calling pupils to account for their behaviour. The full article is available online. Finally, the BBC has run an article on the news website focusing on how children and adults can stay healthy at the start of the new term. Officially, January marks the start of the spring term, but winter bugs like norovirus and flu are likely around for several months yet. The article focuses on five top tips, regular hand washing, regular cleaning of high contact areas, staying at home for serious illnesses such as high fever, vomiting or diarrhoea, vaccinations where necessary or applicable, and using the NHS online services to keep informed or to seek advice. Hopefully, a healthy new year will lead to a happy start to the spring term. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Interesting comments there on attendance, considering we are talking about how (laughs) more negative experiences in school can lead to a decrease in teacher and and, uh, TA attendance, Um, when it really doesn't always need to be the case. Sometimes you get physically sick, but a lot of the other stuff should should be avoided, can be avoided. Unfortunately, sometimes it isn't. So I've just had a bit of an influx of of messages. So I'm just going to kind of go back and then we can we can um, answer some questions and and share thoughts on on some of these contributions so um, Emily has shared her experiences as, as a neurodivergent teacher so um, she says that she has ADHD dyslexia as well as physical difficulties um, and fatigue is a constant companion so that it's stemming not only from the physical demands of the job, yeah. but also from the mental exertion required to maintain focus. And this is something I want to talk about a bit later. And we've mentioned it already. It's just, e- even if you're physically fine, it's, it is mentally exhausting to yes, do what we right. do for as long as we do every day. And it's exhausting for everyone. But if you have added challenges and there are additional barriers in place, then at times it can honestly feel impossible. So Emily says the effort to stay on top of lesson plans, grading and communication with parents and colleagues often feels like running a marathon without a finish line in sight. The overwhelming nature of my surroundings often engulfs me in a sea of distractions. 
I think this is an English teacher as well. Emily says, classroom stimuli, administrative duties, and the constant need to adapt lesson plans can create a relentless storm within my mind. Simple tasks that others might take for granted become Herculean efforts. Oh, definitely an English teacher. Leaving me mentally drained and emotionally <laughs> exhausted. And it it is. And I, as I've said, I'm not, for anyone who's, who's joined recently, I'm not a neurodivergent teacher. Um, Amy, our guest, is autistic. Um, Emily, whose comments I've just been reading out, has ADHD and dyslexia and physical difficulties as well. But I am, I am such an introvert. When I took the the aptitude tests in my secondary school, when I was when I was in high school in a different country, I don't think they even have this this test anymore. But they've got versions of it now, um, <clears throat> and it tells you what careers you should take or that you might be more suited to. I got things like, um, uh, like laboratory researcher <laughs> I got things wow. like that because that, that's, that's my brain. I know I'm an English teacher I I mean today I got so into a poem I almost cried to, like my year 11s were looking at me like miss what's wrong with you and <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing this this unbelievably social job that requires putting on these various masks um and and performances and the the additional performances and the additional masking required for neurodivergent teachers and even even for little old me just wanting to sit there with my cup of tea in a book is is surreal like it's very difficult for people to get their heads around it and and yes. it often leads to to comments like whenever i you know dare to complain about teaching to non-teachers which is it don't ever do that just don't just don't do it but whenever i do I always get comments like, well, you know what you signed up for, or this is, this is the job yeah. or, you know, isn't yeah. it all worth it? And it's like, lady, you don't get it. Like you, you just don't understand we do it for how demanding. <laughs> yeah. But we do, but they're, you know, in, in a way they're right because it's a vocation and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean yeah. we're martyrs. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be supported in every way possible by our employers no, who exactly. have a duty of care. Um, Emily, yeah, Emily, thank you for that. Thank you for that. It's it's useful to hear from another neurodivergent educator and and your experiences. Okay. Um, and with ADHD, I mean, I I'm sure we all have have so many ADHD students in our classes. Yeah, and it's like trying to, trying to get them to focus. And you know, we may have 10, 20, 30 years on these kids, but the problems don't go away. The challenges no, don't disappear. They don't, no, you you develop um, coping strategies. You have life experience behind you. You learn to recognize um, potential problematic situations or meltdowns before they happen. Hopefully, then and then maybe you can avoid certain certain scenarios. But the the barriers themselves do not vanish when you hit no, a certain age. So these it's it's so important that if if a school is keen on inclusion for SEN students and, and supporting the autistic students and the, the students with ADHD, then they have to do the same for their staff. And Absolutely. they're just very often not. Um, some questions. Um, Emily has has a, a particularly interesting question. I'm, I'm scrolling, scrolling and scrolling now. Um, she says... <laughs> Uh, I would like to know if Amy has any strategies for talking to managers or HR, which I think could tie nicely into a question that Yasmin has also asked. She says, I'd like to know if Amy found her current workplace to be more supportive after the diagnosis 
or if it was good practice from when she joined. So let's start there. Amy, how how did or did the support you were getting from your workplace change once you had your official diagnosis or had they always been uh, had it always been a supportive environment for you? Um, well, there's a reason I've stayed at this school and the, okay. you know, the fact of it is they've always been supportive. Um, you know, as you probably know, as an educate yourself, the waiting list to be diagnosed for any neurodivergence is so long. Um, mm-hmm. So when I interviewed at this school, I, you know, I did, you know, I was adamant and made it clear about myself and what I was potentially going through. And I'll say from the get go, um, I have I feel like I've been one in a million um, to be lucky yeah. enough to receive the support I have and to just be able to feel in a safe enough space to unmask as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, I feel like my colleagues have really helped me through my diagnosis. Um, you know, it, it didn't come easy. You know, it did took it did take a lot of you know, self-perseverance to accept that it's okay to have help, but having colleagues and managers to say it's okay to need help has really Mm -hmm. helped me. Um, Because, like I said, I'm a very literal thinker. And before diagnosis, I just felt I wasn't valid for support. Um, But my Sanko, the manager at the time, you know, she made it clear, well, you are, you are valid for support. Um, it's a difficult mm-hmm. thing to be awaiting a diagnosis for so long and, you know, not with, knowing what the outcome is. So um, I then had a, a meeting with HR and one of the assistant principals. And before my diagnosis, um, we looked at strategies and potential solutions for me um, mm-hmm. and what could work for me. Um, and there's quite a few things which I find work for me. So... Um, that's, that's my, so I, uh, cause I do teach as part of being a HLTA is that I get my, yeah. um, planning and prep time protected. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not used to cover lessons during those times because as you can imagine, yeah. as someone who's autistic, yeah. I meticulously plan, um, those hours and they are, you know, they are sacred to me. Um, mm-hmm. my manager, you know, always checks in with me on the daily um if I come in on a bad day um she goes right what do you (laughs) feel that you need to be different what matter you know what lessons do you think Mm -hmm. you will manage what won't you manage um because I've you know I feel like it's better to adapt rather than not going in at all and the fact that I've you know I'm lucky to have that support and I had that support before a diagnosis, you know, it's allowed me to, you know, have a better attendance. Um, Because I know if I wake up mentally feeling unwell, I know I have got a safe space and I do have people who care and who are going to listen. Um, But unfortunately, I think, you know, and it is quite sad because I've always, you know, aspired to be a teacher, but because of my, you know, my barriers and own needs, an experience mm-hmm. I know of others, I'm quite reluctant to, you know, to go go and do teacher training and step up to that level. So, you know, mm-hmm. I do feel for anyone who is actually a teacher um, and is neurodivergent because I, you know, I can appreciate that their responsibilities are a lot more than mine. 
and they can't really adapt their role as much as I can. Um, you know, their timetable yeah. is set in stone. There is certain classes that have to teach. There is marking that has to be done. But yeah. unfortunately, I feel like it is a place where we have to, you know, be tough with ourselves and admit that it's okay to seek support. Yeah. And if, you know, the place you work in is inclusive, someone will go, right, let's see what we can do for you. Yeah. And I, and I think it's so important that as soon as you get confirmation that maybe it's not the inclusive place you thought it was, that rather than, than turning that inward and, and seeing it as some sort of personal failure on, on your own part, you start uh, looking for some place that is, because there's only, exactly. you know, <laughs> only so much you can do to try and, and uh, fight that battle. Exactly. But it's a, and, you know, it's, it's good that you found somewhere that is so supportive and where they it sounds like they really take the initiative to make sure that you are able to be the best HLTA that you can be on that day and that you can you can do yes. what you can do and what you get done what you can get done to the best of your ability rather than it turning into a some sort of shame show or or, or punishment. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because someone, glad, you um, know, I f- sorry, go on. I was saying, I was, <laughs> no, I was saying um, you know, I, I did get to the point where I, d- I did feel like I wanted to give him with working in education. Um, but, you know, to those who feel like they are struggling, there are schools out there. It might take time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found every school to be different. Um, it might be the same job, but it's a different school. And I was about to give yeah. in, and then I did find my place. So you know, there is somewhere, someone, somewhere for people. Um, like yeah, me. there is. And I've 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 talked about my my different experiences in supportive and unsupportive schools at length on um, on a TTR Twitter space um, back in September, I think, and on Lucy's. And it was that was something that came up repeatedly. You know, you you can feel the exact same person can feel like a complete failure and the worst teacher in the world in one school and they will be outstanding at everything and be totally confident and be absolutely flying in another. And it's, it's, it's all about, it's all about the environment and, and, and the fit um, between the environment and the person. But then, you know, then you get into the whole conversation of, well, should it have to come to that or should employers just actually do what they're obliged to do and what they should be doing yeah. and, and support yes, all their staff in exactly. the first place. But the reality is they don't, um, not all of them. No. And we need to find, we need to find schools that are supportive. Now, Emily has said, following on from what we've been talking about, she says the pressure can be too much. And if you divulge that you're having a hard time or you, or you need a mental health day, or um, you would need some support or you'd be scared to be put on a support plan for not handling your job. Um, and I've, I've had, cause I, I, I personally get, get um, sensory overload quite easily, which is really fun in yes. a raucous yeah. classroom. <laughs> um, if I'm, you know, not switched on that day or I'm already at capacity and my limits, you know, my tolerance is, is yeah. lower than it, than it normally is. It's, um, exactly. it's a challenge. Um, and I was having at my current school, which I love because everyone is, genuinely really lovely and supportive and actually wants the best for for their employees and their colleagues and I was having a rough time before 
uh, like around October half term, there was a bereavement in the family. There was my kitchen roof was leaking. Like it was 10 things all at once. Oh, and, and there were a couple of difficult classes and I was adjusting to the school and I had some rough days. And um, the deputy head came in my class and was like, you just in the nicest on most like honest way possible. He was like, you, we can, we can cover your lessons and you can go home. If you need to go home, you can go home. But, and, and, and I went into panic mode immediately because I've had not that sentiment exactly, but I've had similar things where, you know, a member of SLT has approached me and said something, um, you know, my favorite line, do you think your pastoral role is, is preventing you from, from teaching? the way that you should be teaching, you know? And it just, I just like went straight back to that horrible place. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And he was like, no, honestly, this is, it's, it's, this is not a threat. This is not, this is not anything. he was like genuinely like, yeah. I'm a little concerned about you and it's okay. We can, we can help. But that's, that's the, that's the place he was coming from. And I got there eventually. Um, and I ended up staying the day because it was, it was quite a light teaching day and I managed to get my act together and get through it. But sometimes you just need, you just need someone to, to see you and to see what you're struggling with and to offer that hand, you know, to offer that support and, and, and be there and genuinely mean it without any sort of ulterior motive or any kind of, you know, secret, you know, underlying sinister threat (laughs) it's just again it really shouldn't be really shouldn't be too much to ask um you would think now just some human compassion (laughs) yeah yeah you know a little bit of understanding because we're we're all expected to extend that to our neurodiverse and just diverse student body so why why do we suddenly forget that our teachers are people too it's all a bit strange (laughs) now emily has said i would like to know if amy has any strategies for talking to managers or hr so when you found yourself in situations in your current school where you needed that support either before or after your diagnosis did you approach that directly with your manager did they start that conversation did you speak to hr about it what did you do it was kind of um i'd say a balance of both um I think I needed that support um but you know my manager I had at the time I think she noticed that you know I perhaps did need support and I needed to give myself permission to go okay I need some help um and she helped me put myself forward to HR um and part of the things that we discussed in my meeting um was to have you know regular check-ins with the manager um, with my manager who is a Sanko and you know that does happen I'd say on the daily um, because you know we're, mm-hmm. we work closely together and you know I you know because it's become a habit now of these check-ins sometimes before she even asks me if I'm okay if I'm having a rough day I will openly say I'm having a bad day and then she will go oh tell me why um yeah, like I say, I think it's just because I've been lucky, really, to be somewhere where I have been recognised as yeah. someone who's needing support. So have um, you, but, when when you got, sorry to interrupt, but when you, when you got your diagnosis, did you, I'm just thinking about, you know, what other um, neurodivergent educators might, might be going through, because you, as you said, it's quite a process okay. getting that diagnosis and then what to do about that. Definitely. Um, 
yeah, did you, did you, did, did you have a conversation with HR? Cause I know I've, I've spoken to a, to a few teachers who've, who've, um, gone to a new school, but not yet disclosed when they were hired that they have, which is, even though we're asked these things, um, yeah. didn't disclose <laughs> until later that they have, for example, ADHD, um, or they've, they've received a diagnosis whilst already in employment, um, and then wondered what to, to do with that. Did you speak to, to HR at all directly or did you kind of leave that up to your manager? Um, no, I did it directly. Um, I okay. think confidence that I had obviously in the support I have been having, um, I sent them my diagnosis report. Um, so, you know, they could, you know, analyze it and, you know, mm-hmm. we could really have another meeting just to, update anything um because sadly i'd say like advice not from hr but i'd say from occupational health when it comes Mm -hmm. to neurodivergence um especially autism the advice for employers is very vague um is it it, i I would say it's very textbook advice but okay you know you, you know someone you know you've probably come across a lot of children with autism no one with autism is the same no. Not everyone has no. the same traits. Not everyone has the same barriers. Um, no. And we did actually discuss this in the HR meeting, saying the advice that we've been given is vague. Um, but, you know, they are very open for if I suddenly realise, ah, I actually, this might be a good idea. They are okay. happy for me to, you know, drop them an email because, you know, post-diagnosis, it's, you know, it is a process. You've, you've got to learn how to be you, in a sense, um, mm. because before I was diagnosed, I would say the only place I was ever just purely me was in my own home. Um, yeah. So to suddenly unravel me and decide what I needed, it, it, it isn't just a you know quick one-shot process. It does take time. Um, but um, my manager and HR, you know, they are very open for me to email and say, and, you know, I've got a problem with this. Can we discuss this? Um, so that is yeah. something that has really helped. Yeah. And I think I, th- I think if you if you can manage to have that open, honest dialogue with with someone, whether it's HR, whether it's, it's your line manager or, or, you know, someone, then you I can imagine you'll get a feeling very, very quickly if this is gonna work out. Or if it's exactly. yes. If it's not, if we need to get get looking at those those adverts again. Um okay, so again, if you if any listeners have any other questions that they they'd like Amy to answer from her wealth of personal experience, um, please do text in and feel free to give us a call as well if you've got anything you'd like to contribute. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 
2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. So I really like what you said, Amy, about um, it being a journey to kind of figure out who you are. <laughs> when you get your diagnosis and how to be yourself definitely um yeah do you feel like you've well I assume you have how how has that process changed how you are at work um this is quite a tricky question but what nobody ever tells you when you get a diagnosis is that you do get a big sense of relief, but you also go through a process of grieving, I guess, for your former self. Like, you know, how things could have been if, you know, I know sooner. But I would say, really, because, you know, I I do find work is, you know, it is a safe space for me. Um, And now I'm openly being myself. I would say, you know, this is the most confident I've ever been in my job. You know, I feel like I am absolutely thriving in what I'm doing. And, you know, doing things like teaching a lesson is something I had never thought I'd be capable of doing. And the fact really? that I'm able to use, yeah, yes, it's, yes. Uh, the first lesson I ever taught was uh, at my interview for this school and it wow. was daunting. But now, yeah, as, as a HLTA at my school, you have, you know, a bit of a special, you know, a specialism, an extra responsibility and, um, you know, taking up some teaching for these in, you know for the focus provision groups is one of them and you know I, I'm a very creative person um, in terms of making resources differentiating and tailoring resources and just using that unique ability I have to put forward to my students it's just wonderful and you know my students absolutely respond so well to my lessons and I'm, I just feel so confident what I do and I love my job and I'm just happy at that I can finally you know be at that you know place in my mind um and the great thing is my colleagues you know they they know that I'm quirky and unique but they love it they <laughs> love me for it um so I'd say I've created some lovely um friendships as well at work um which I think is really important in a absolutely as tricky as absolutely ours. and um, we were we were telling our um we have a, a student teacher PGC student who's just started today and I, I went, <laughs> went up to her at the end of the day. I was like, so <laughs> how you feeling? And she, she actually seemed really positive. She seemed really positive. She didn't seem hopelessly overwhelmed or anything. And she said, everyone seems really nice here. And I was, I was telling her, you know, it makes all the difference. If you have kind, helpful, 
thoughtful, supportive colleagues, you can get through pretty much anything. And, and it makes, even if you're in an environment where leadership maybe aren't as inclusive for staff or students as they should be, or, or there are which whatever difficulties, if you're, if you have a team who are functioning as a team, then you can, you can get through pretty much all of it intact, maybe not for, for an extended period of time, but it certainly makes your day-to-day life easier. So I absolutely agree with that. Do you, do you have any, um, kind of tips or tricks? Like let, let me, let me give you an example. So when I get overstimulated as, (laughs) as an introvert, um, when my tolerance is low and there's a particularly chaotic moment or I just, for whatever reason that day, just am not, you know, peopling very well. If I need, if I get through a lesson and I feel like my brain is frazzled because it literally is, it's, it's like a special type of headache that I get. It's like my head, it, it feels like it's been stuffed yes. with cotton wool. Um, yes. I feel like I'm underwater. Like I can't hear clearly. I can't even see clearly sometimes. Like I, I literally find... <laughs> I find the darkest room I can, the smallest, darkest room I can. I lock the door, <laughs> I turn off the lights, I sit on the floor with my back against the wall, and I just breathe. And I, if anyone, if there were like night vision cameras in the room, I'd look like a completely insane person. <laughs> but it, it, it's what I have to do yes. to like reset. It like hits the reset button on my brain, at least partially. So if, it, you know, in times of, of desperation, that's, that's what I do is... Do you have yes. any kind of similar routines? Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it could be a bit more flexible for me because uh, I'm a TA. But um, for me, noise and crowds is a big thing. Um, I struggled yeah. with it before COVID, but I'd say that is probably a tolerance that's probably regressed since COVID as well. Um, okay. But for me, I've always got in in ear ear defenders um ready to <laughs> to put in my mm-hmm. ears like you said for crazy year eight classes um mm-hmm. but i also i enter my so especially for tas this is quite a useful thing but i enter literally just after the children have entered so i avoid that chaos and then i leave as they're packing away uh-huh. so i give myself those transition times and actually that's what we do for our yeah. um, autistic students as well we give them that leeway yeah. to yep. you know enter and yep. leave um without the busyness and also um my timetable is you know i've learnt what works well for me and what doesn't and i've been very honest with my manager and now i'm you know i have a timetable which i feel is manageable so for me being in mainstream a different hour every lesson I find very chaotic but having yeah. a, a, a fine balance with being in learning support with our focus provision groups and being in mainstream that's that fine balance so I get to be in my yeah. haven but I also still get to be out there in mainstream um yeah but those are the main things that I've done to help me I found that really difficult too. When I started a new school a few years ago, I I guess they thought this would, I don't know how much of it was unavoidable timetabling and rooming issues, probably most of it to be fair, but also I went in as quite an experienced teacher. So they probably felt like, oh, she can handle it. But like, obviously not, not not knowing me. Um, (laughs) I was in, I was in so many different classrooms in so many different areas of the school. Like I had to teach one lesson a week, I think in, 
a science lab, but it wasn't like, it was like a science classroom. <laughs> it wasn't like a lab setup. Yeah. It was like, um, it was, a, it was a weird setup, but it was definitely a science room. And it just, it just threw me off completely having to, having to make sure the books and the resources were in the right room before the lesson and running from point A to point B. And this, and this school also had lineups before school, break time, lunch time, yes. after school. So like, you, it was just like, go, 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 go. And there was never that chance to yeah. even like sit exactly. in a dark room. <laughs> and, and the, the like mental organization required, and I'm a very organized person and it would just, it just, it was just too much. Like with the news, I didn't even know where the classrooms were and I was supposed to get all around the school. It was just an absolute nightmare in so many levels and and having that one classroom and being able to have that base I like I have that this year for the first time um probably since like 2015 I've got I've got one room (laughs) where I teach all of my lessons and it's it's my classroom and it's it's not it's not even particularly beautiful classroom it is just a room but it's mine and I stay there and I love it it's such a it's such a comforting thing to have it really is the little things. All right. Well, we are, we have reached 10 PM. Goodness gracious. Um, do you, is there any, is there anything you wanted to say or anything you wanted to, to share with, with our listeners that you maybe haven't had a chance to say yet? Well, not particularly just with those okay. who may be listening. Uh, well, no, I do, but uh, just <laughs> okay, those who may be like me, a neurodivergent, just, Honestly, it does get better. Um, you know, if it doesn't work out for you, there is somewhere else. And it's just, you know, about having that perseverance to find somewhere. And, you know, things do get better, I promise. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I know it, the positive things are all, all lovely to talk about, but thank you for sharing the less less than ideal experiences as well. It's okay. really, really valuable no for, for people to hear. So, um Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, everyone should get a good night's sleep. And if you're sick tomorrow, don't go in. Because we need to stay healthy. So thank you very much and have a lovely evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.